cut something for six months and really focus on paying off one debt. And then you add it back in, or if it's nails, maybe instead of every two weeks, you try to do it every six weeks, you know, or like every quarter you get a cute design. So it's not saying you can't have things. It's just, you said, being way more intentional about, you know, the use of your money. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hey there, it's me, Renee. Welcome back to the Unstuffed Podcast. Today, I got to sit down with a woman named Allie Williams, who is a money coach that has such an amazing and totally aligned with mine idea on how we should be managing our money. So if you're anything like me, you have maybe heard the old gurus telling you to buy less, pinch and save. And while Allie agrees in some ways, she's also a big believer in splurging on the things that we love the most. And having this mentality has actually helped her pay off six figures worth of debt that she married into. So she talks about how when she married her husband, he had almost $150,000 worth of student loan debts, and they had to actively work to pay that off together. So if you have ever felt like you're drowning, if this is the year where you know you want to get your money in order, taking the time to listen to today's episode is going to be an amazing and encouraging way to help get you started. Hi, Allie. Hey, thanks you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat today. Yeah, I'm glad we get to dive in. I know this is going to be a really good conversation, especially for anyone who has ever uh, struggled to understand money. And I think in this day and age, it is extra stressful for a good majority of people. So for those of you, so for those people listening who haven't heard about you yet, do you want to give us a quick breakdown about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Allie Williams. I live in South Carolina with my husband and two little boys um, on our 25 acre farm, our forever home. I company is financially focused, spelled like A-L-L-I at the end, like my name. <laughs> uh, I'm like also the least creative person ever. My friend thought of that name like when I was a blog. So I take zero credit for my um, company name. <laughs> but my main goal is to just help simplify money and help people pay off debt, save while still spending on the things they value and really just help people realize that 
you can reach your big money goals. It might take some time, but you can definitely do it. I love that. And I love that you say, while well, still spending on the fun stuff. Because for our family, I always tell people when it came to money, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew what I was doing wasn't working because I wasn't getting totally. anywhere. But I thought it meant living by a super strict budget, having zero fun, and almost like did it as a form of punishment for myself. Like you got into debt, so you need to get out. You don't deserve that kind of thing. So how do you feel like people can create balance between those two things? Yeah, I think that's really common. And um, I'm never going to tell someone like there's no sacrifice involved, especially if you do have really like ambitious money goals or really, you know, your aggressive money goals where you're trying to pay off a ton in a year or save a ton. Like it's, it would be naive for me to say like, oh yeah, you can just do what you want and just magically, you know, pay off debt and save. So there does come, you know, some level of sacrifice, but I think a lot of the noise out there and some like gurus or whatever, like, you know, you shouldn't go out to eat if you have debt or you should never enjoy anything if you have debt or, and that I think is a terrible approach. I think really focusing and at the end of the day, you know, if you could write down just first thing that comes to your head, like your dream day or your dream week, like what would you be doing? Would you have more time with your kids? Would you want to take a beach vacation with your entire family? Would you just want a slow morning where you don't have to wake up till nine? You know, whatever that is, those are the things you value. Those are the things um, that should be included in your budget, even if you can't include all of them at the same time. Like, that's normal. I mean, I think most people can't, but for example, if you value family time, maybe you plan a trip, maybe your family is like in a different state or something. I don't know. Like you plan a sinking fund in a trip. That's going to be like twice a year. You go see your family or, um, maybe you pay off your debt so you could take a different job and, um, you know, have those slower mornings or more times with your kids where you're not as focused on money. You can, you know, you can do a part-time job. So it's really focusing on the few things you truly value. And then, aggressively cutting the things you don't. I mean, this is a podcast that you're probably listening, but like I have like the same five shirts from Target. Like I don't value clothes or beauty. I get my hair cut once a year. I don't get my nails. Like that to me is not important, but I do value time with my family and travel and college football. (laughs) So like we've season football tickets for my alma mater. Like we go on trips with my family and people think, wow, she spends so much, but I also spend zero dollars on like a lot of other things. So it's just, you know, saving and spending on things you value and cutting everything else. Yeah. That's what I totally relate. That's how I always try to say, like, for me, minimalism, it wasn't just about creating space in my house. It was just applying the mindset to everything in my life. Like, what do I actually want? What do I value the most? Let's get rid of everything else. Uh, and I love that you said nails for some reason. I was like, cause that's something that I recently, I always love always since I was a kid, I love pretty nails. When I watch TV shows, I like, will be like, Oh my gosh, I love her. Like, it's just something that I'm drawn to. Uh, so I was getting my nails done consistently for the last few years. And it kind of just got to that point, um, where we started to, yeah, I started to have bigger goals or things that I was, it just shifted and refocused. And I kind of had this realization that I'm like, I don't want to be spending, you know, hundred, two hundred dollars a month on my nails anymore and kind of, you know, making those shifts for me, it's been a lot about making those tiny shifts and changes and telling myself that it's okay. Because I think a lot of us, the whole world, we're all influenced so much by what other people are doing. 
So I'm curious, um, because when we were first talking, you said you came into a marriage and your husband had six figures of debt. And so number one, like, how did you guys decide to tackle that? And was it hard to let go of any of those things you thought you should do or you should own? Yeah. So, um, we started dating. I don't even know how old I am. I'm like, I don't even know what year it is. Um, I was 23. I'll be, I'll be 32 next week. Uh, so we've been together, you know, a decent amount of time. And I was one of the crazy people who on like our third or fourth date was like talking about money. Cause at that point I was in my own kind of individual personal journey, like to paying off debt and saving. And I knew kind of what I wanted. So when I was dating and looking for a partner, I was like, you know, I need someone who's going to like come alongside me. And to me, it didn't necessarily matter how much debt he had. It was more, I was looking for like, could we get on the same page? Cause about all the couples I've worked with and I've worked with, I mean, I've probably reviewed over a thousand budgets at this point. And the biggest problem I see with couples is people who maybe they're never talked about money. They're scared to talk about money. They are just on completely different kind of planets when it comes to finances. And that's really hard. Not saying it's not possible, to come together. It definitely is, but that takes a lot of time. So I was looking for, could we get on the same page? Cause I knew I could pay off debt. Like it, it was annoying, but like the payoff part didn't stress me out. It was, could we get on the same page? And so long story short, he had thought he had around a hundred thousand dollars and ended up being 154. And it wasn't because he was hiding. It was because he was one of those people, which I bet 90% of people are, is just didn't know. He didn't, log into his accounts every day. He kind of knew around what, you know, he was just paying minimums. He wasn't really like trying to pay it off. So he, some of his student loans increased because of how interest is set up and all that fun stuff. Um, There were things he just like, you know, he just kind of accepted like based on where he was at in his career and life. Like, I'm just going to pay minimums forever. Like, I just don't see a way to pay it off. And I think a lot of people feel like that. Um, so when we kind of came together, it's funny, if you couldn't tell already from this podcast, I'm very type A and um, love spreadsheets. Like I would review spreadsheets all day. And my husband is not that, um, but he's just, you know, very smart in a different way. And uh, I came to our first like budget meeting with a binder and he was like, no, no, nope. <laughs> like, he was like, no, no, no. So I had to learn. I think it's really common in couples is what works for me might not work for us as a couple. Um, and you have to learn how to give up control and kind of figure out a plan that works for both of you. If you're going to really like tackle debt or savings or anything together. And, um, yeah, I pretty much just decided like I could sit here and sulk, which I did for a few days and then was like, no one's going to pay this off for me. So it's time to kind of buckle down and I hate owing people money, And so, you know, as you see interest, you know, accrue, especially with credit card debt and all that, I was like, you know, the longer I wait, the more I owe. Um, So we kind of just picked, like we talked about earlier, the few things that we really cared about, um, which for me, that was season football tickets (laughs) Um, and just made a way to make it work. I also, at that point was like all in on different side hustles and like, I was going to do whatever it took um, to still live my life and still like, we went on weekly dates to a Mexican restaurant and things like that. But I was trying to get this paid off because, you know, I didn't want to owe anyone. So it was a process that takes a lot of time. But I think the biggest thing is just open communication between, um, you know, when you have a partner, when you're trying to manage money together. Oh my gosh, for sure. And you're right. That's what, what went so wrong for us uh, when we were, um, like I said, when we didn't know, we didn't know we were just struggling. I always just managed money. 
Uh, my husband still doesn't really like to look at the money. Uh, but for so long, I knew what was going on. So I would just make decisions and he would freak out because he didn't know what was happening, you know, behind, behind the scenes. And I so often worked to not talk with him about money because I always heard money's one of the biggest causes of divorce. Money fights are the biggest cause of divorce. So my mind was like, well, let's just never talk about it then because then we can't get divorced. Like then we won't leave. But the not talking about it is worse. Like it's, I'd rather, now we have money fights, you know, what we have those issues, we have those problems, and then we can come to a solution versus just both of us being stressed and unhappy and not speaking about it. Yeah, totally. I think it's really common, the avoidance, because yeah, you don't want to, you know, ruffle any feather and, you know, people are like, oh, we're in a good place. Let's not, you know, mess it up or whatever. And it's for us, we've learned, like I said, budget meetings don't work for us. We don't have formal sit downs. It's just not what works for our relationship. It works for a lot of people. It's just not our style. We just have learned to make it conversational. And so just like we talk about, like, how's your day at work? We talk about money in the exact same fashion. Like, what are we saving for? What's coming up? Do you need new tires? You know, we have a lot of house repairs. So we just talk about a conversation like, how much do we have for this? Or, um, you know, my husband now knows if he wants or needs something, he has to give me time because I have to plan for it. So, you know, in the beginning it was like, he would give me like a two day notice, like, Oh, I need tires. And I was like, I don't have tire money. So like, you know, yeah. And then now he knows, like, give me as much notice as I can. So if I don't have a sinking fund or a plan I can save or we can move things around. So it's just getting, figuring out what works for you as a couple. And just talking about money, like you talk about anything else is the goal. Right. That makes me feel better because that's kind of what we do. And I think there's still probably that part of my mind that's like, we should be having budgeting meetings and these big sit down goal planning things. Uh, but my husband does that same thing. Or I will ask, do you need anything that needs to be planned this month? We don't think so. And then like a week later, he's like, oh, I need this and this. And that. Like, nope, you don't get it because you didn't say it. So sorry. That's how I am. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I love that we kind of are both on the same page with a lot of that stuff, but I am definitely now more someone who would probably fall under that type A ish type category, but I never really was. I feel like it was unnatural for me to get this way. So what do you feel like, do you have or have to work with people? I'm sure you do who are not naturally like the spreadsheet type who are not great numbers. And like, do you find that there's systems that work better for us? <laughs> Yeah. I think I always tell people like, for example, in my programs, like I have a signature coaching program and I have templates and my templates are so basic. Like I'm always, you know, I see all the templates on Etsy and and you'll have like 80 tabs and 17 charts. And then I'm always like, Oh, mine's so basic. But then I get reminded like clients will literally message me like your template's the only one I could stick to because it is so basic. And as much as charts sound great in theory, no one has time for that. I want to get in and get out with my money just like I want to do everything else. I don't have three hours to like look at different trends. And I mean, if that works for you, like, you know, go ahead. That's wonderful. But I'd say for 90% of people, no one has time nor wants to spend, you know, on 15 tabs that are doing 80 things. Like you just want to know your numbers and move on. And I, I have, you know, I tell people like, if you 
are a pen and paper type person, then you don't need a spreadsheet. Like totally stick to what works for you. If you want to try something and it's not working, you adjust it. I mean, you'll never know, right? Until you try. I think a lot of people who tell me, oh, budgets don't work for me. It's just, I haven't found something that works. Like a budget works for every person. I don't know any person that a budget does not work for. And that might be like a harsh thing to say, but it's true. I don't care if you make a million dollars or you make zero dollars. You need to know where your money's going. Um, Cause if not, then there's going to be some leaks and holes, just like with anything, you know, even with any kind of minimalism, like even in your house, like if you don't know where your stuff is or what's coming into your home, you're going to have 85 branches, you know, like if you look at your cabinet or pantry, right. You'll have like, like that happens to me all the time. I'll like think I need like ranch or ketchup. And then I end up with like four because I don't check before I go to the store. Same thing with your money. If you don't check in, you're going to, you know, keep spending on different things. And a lot of money's coming in and out. I think you kind of have to force yourself to do it. And that's what I have clients do until it becomes a habit, just like anything else. So schedule recurring Google calendar invites. If your whole life is in your phone, like literally schedule a 30 minute meeting with yourself to budget. Like you have to force yourself. Same thing with like working out. If I didn't do like a workout class, I would never work out because I personally don't have like the inner desire. Like, yes, I want to like be in shape, but then there's other things that I'd prefer to do than a workout. So I do like group classes because it forces me to do it. And that's why I think like, you know, any kind of coaching sometimes really helps a lot of people with the accountability piece of forcing you to do it. But even if you don't join a program, like you kind of have to force yourself or tell your partner, like, Hey, make sure at seven o'clock on Tuesdays, I'm doing this. Or when the kids go to bed for 30 minutes on Wednesdays, we're going to check in or whatever it is. You kind of have to just like force yourself to do it until it becomes a habit. Yeah. That, that makes so much sense. And so I'm trying to think of like, how did I even, I feel like I was always in the habit of budgeting. So maybe this kind of goes hand in hand with when you say people say budget doesn't work. I would budget like forever, like I always budgeted, but my budget was knowing how much we got paid and then making sure all of our bills were paid. And then knowing, and to me, I was like, yay, whatever's left is just a free for all, but I didn't budget the remainder, the remaining money. Uh, so I think that's why, like when people say like a budget doesn't work for me, it's, I would say it feels probably more like, oh, maybe your spending habits are a little out of what, you know, like you struggle to yeah. stick to your budget, you know, rather than the budget part, not working. So if yeah. there's anybody out there who just does that, like I can pay my bills, but that's it. What are the next steps? Yeah, exactly. So leftover? I think a lot of people too think a budget is literally like listing your, you know, income expenses, checkbox. I created a budget, like I'm moving on, right? Like it's kind of one of those things that people feel like they have to do for the month to like say their but like, oh, I have a budget. And I'm like, okay, well, when was the last time you checked it? And it was like, oh, three weeks ago. I'm like, you don't have a budget. <laughs> you don't, you don't have a budget. You have a list of your expenses. And that's literally what it is. It's a list. A, a budget really should be like a you know, a living, breathing document that you're checking at least once a week. And my, I'd say my favorite approach to budgeting is budgeting per paycheck. Um, cause it really helps you see what bills are coming out of that paycheck, how much money you have that week. So if you get paid weekly, you'd have kind of like four many budgets. If you get paid twice a month, you'd have two. And then say your partner gets paid those same two weeks, you would 
but you know, if you budget together, it would be two. Um, if you still only get paid once a month, you would have like your overall monthly budget, but you would be updating it every week. I think when you do just like monthly budgets where you create it in the beginning of the month and then don't check it again until the end of the month, you know, that's super reactive versus being proactive. And then people get frustrated and they're like, my budget doesn't work and, you know, move on. So if you're budgeting per paycheck, let's say, um, I'd say for most people too, the first half of the month is really heavy with expenses. That's usually when like your mortgage or rent or electricity and things are due. And so people feel pretty awful about finances, like the first to the 15th. And then second half of the month, you have less due usually. And you're like, oh, wow, I'm killing it. And then it's a cycle you're stuck in where you're like struggling the first two weeks and then you feel great. And then, you know, you're kind of stuck in this pattern. And so budgeting per paycheck helps you see one, are my bills really heavy in the first half of the month? If so, can I move any to the second half? Can I, you can change due dates on all of your bills. Most people don't know that, but you can. Um, or if it's your mortgage, maybe you split it up. So like if we're talking about October, um, maybe your first half of the month, you know, you pay October, the second half, you save half your November mortgage. So that when you get to the first, you know, the beginning of November, you only need half and you kind of do this cycle. I mean, that's literally what we do with our mortgage. We split it. Um, and so I think seeing really what comes out of each paycheck, you can then make extra debt payments or savings transfers throughout the month instead of waiting. That's another thing I see a lot of people in general, I think everyone's like this, but if you say you're trying to save $500 for the month, if you wait until the end of the month, most likely you're going to save less because you're going to see the money in your account. You're going to be like, Oh, I'm, I have money. I can buy this. And then, you know, that $500 is quickly 200 because you spent 300. So if you're making extra debt payments or savings transfers throughout the month. So if you have leftover after your bills, you know, paycheck one, you allocate to an extra credit card payment, pay it like that week. And you do that throughout the month, you will pay off debt faster and save more. And I think the biggest thing is making sure you're still keeping some fun money in your budget or allowance. Like my husband, and I literally have an allowance. Um, we each get a certain amount each month that it's like our no questions asked money because we have everything combined. And we have separate checking accounts for our allowance and that's budgeted so we can spend it. We can do whatever we want. So even if you only have $20 to allocate to fund money, you need to kind of give yourself something to spend or else you're going to be in that deprivation kind of cycle. And then you're going to binge and just like, buy everything in three months. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That was something, like I said, I deprived myself of all those little happy things. And then I don't even know how the idea came to me or I heard about it, but it was like, oh, you can give yourself money to spend. And, and then I feel like that made me feel so much more relief, but also was a really big impact for me to be more intentional with my spending. Because when I had a hundred dollars to spend, I, instead of just like, casually, mindlessly tossing stuff into my cart, I would go, no, I want this. I want like, I wanted a Bluetooth speaker. I remember it was my first, like myself having fun money and I wanted a Bluetooth speaker, but then I'm looking at the Bluetooth speakers and it wasn't just like, this one's cute. <laughs> Throw it in the cart. I was like, well, this one's a little bit, you know, this one's like $37. It was a little bit more reasonable. I'm like, that's really all I need. It's kind of simple. It's going to keep my price down. And that way I'll still have enough to be able to buy this or this, you know, that kind of thing, maybe a pair of pants. It was like another pair of jeans or something fun. I wanted for myself. I don't know. I remember the Bluetooth speaker and I call that high maintenance spending because I think a lot of people see it as depriving. I know I did at one point, like, I don't want to have to not, I don't want to, I want to be able to buy whatever I want, whenever I want. But I think when you become 
when you kind of force yourself to be more intentional about what you buy, you're being more high maintenance about what you bring in your life and your priorities. And that's actually really empowering. Totally. Yeah. No, I, I think giving, I always say like in my program too, I have like a whole module on spending because I think everyone focuses so much on paying off debt and saving, which is totally important. But I was having this conversation the other day with a student and I was like, you will spend money for the rest of your life. It is one thing I can guarantee you will do forever. I'm hoping maybe you won't pay off debt forever. And maybe you'll get to a point where maybe some savings investing is automated and you're not like as super focused on it, but you will spend forever. So why do we focus so much on, you know, paying off debt and saving, but we don't, you know, a lot of the gurus out there never touch really on spending and learning how to spend intentionally is so important. And like reducing those impulse factors, because you will spend money forever. So if you don't kind of build those intentional spending habits now, later in life, at some point it's going to affect you and it could cost you really thousands of dollars, you know, in potential like interest that it could have gone in a retirement account or savings or help you reach your goals faster. Like I'm definitely the opposite of like deprivation. I spend a lot of money. Like I spend a lot on the things I care about. Well, like I said, I spend like zero on things I don't. And I think really, and like you said earlier, there's seasons of life where I've changed the same thing. Like I used to get my nails done a lot, like years ago, like every two or three weeks. And I got like cute designs and I loved it. And then when we were in like the thick of debt payoff, I was like, I don't need this. Like, I mean, it was cool, but like, if I had to choose an expense that like, I really wanted to keep, that would not have been it. And I think a lot of people feel if you cut something, you can never have it again and you can have it later. Like it just could be for a season. Maybe you cut something for six months and really focus on paying off one debt and then you add it back in. Or if it's nails, maybe instead of every two weeks, you try to do it every six weeks, you know, or like every quarter you get a cute design. So it's not saying you can't have things. It's just, like I said, being way more intentional about, you know, the use of your money. After our family downsized our house, we started working to pay off debt and build an actual savings because for decades I would transfer a hundred dollars to our savings account, but then I would end up transferring it right back to our checking when we had overspent. So when we downsized, I decided to get serious about saving money for things like emergencies and for fun things like travel. The first thing I did was open a high yield savings account that was separate from our current checking account. That way it wouldn't be as easy for me to just pull money out whenever I felt like I needed it. And I knew it would force me to take my spending and my saving a lot more seriously. So if you are in a similar boat and are hoping to up your game when it comes to saving money, One of the absolute best accounts to get started is called Savings Connect. This is a savings account that pays close to 5% when you set an automatic savings deposit of just $100 per month. This is 11 times the national average, which means if you use a current savings account that's attached to your checking, there's a good chance you are not making nearly enough money. So if you're at a place in life where you're committed to changing your financial future and you actually want to start getting some money in the bank, You can get started with a Savings Connect account for as little as $100. Just head to reneebennis.com forward slash save to learn more, and I will fill you in on all of the details. That's reneebennis.com forward slash save to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you're so right. Uh, I talk a lot about recovering from my shopping addiction, and I... uh, 
don't ever want to belittle other addictions because I, I have addictions that run in my family. I've got, you know, people in my family have had alcohol addictions and gambling addictions. Uh, but the one thing that I say that I think makes the shopping addiction so difficult is like, you know, like you could totally avoid bars forever. If you want to, you know, that kind of thing, you could avoid going to a casino. Um, you really cannot avoid having to buy things. You just can't, we need it to survive. So finding that balance is so important. Yeah. And that's exactly. such a, yeah, it has such a huge impact. And for me, like on the stuff you bring in for you, like the amount that people are spending. Yeah. Yeah. And I was having a conversation, um, recently with someone too, about like kind of comparing, you know, like the stuff in your home and budgeting and just like how, you know, in a room or a closet, you have a place for things. Like maybe, you know, you can see, you could, you, if you open someone's closet, right. You could probably see the things they value if they're like on display or if it's like tucked in a back corner you could probably be like you could probably get rid of that like you know i mean even for me like if there's things you haven't touched in like six to nine months like you could probably say you know clear the clutter or whatever like move on and same thing with a budget if i could see i should be able to see very easily like just with one quick view of your budget what you care about because if it's or what you're trying to do so if you're telling me like oh i'm trying to pay off debt or pay off this credit card if i don't see extra credit card payments in your budget you're not you're not going to pay it off um or if you tell me you value travel like if i don't see a travel sinking fund or something then I, how do I know, or maybe it's on a credit card, which, you know, is another conversation. Uh, but if I see 15 subscriptions, you know, you have every streaming service and, you know, every phone app, it's like that to me, like that's clutter, even in your budget that you could quickly like low hanging fruit, just go through and cut. And a lot of people think those don't add up. You're like, Oh, well, it's $15. It's $7. It's five. Okay. Well, if you have five of those and it totals even $40 a month, you know, if you think about that over the course of a year or three years, I mean, that's a lot of money that could have gone to other things. So, you know, clearing kind of like the clutter in your budget or in your finances is so important. And it leaves more room for intentional spending and spending more on the things you care about. Yeah. And I kind of like when you said this, I like thought about it where you said, you know, something that's hiding in the back of your closet that you're not really using. Uh, like you said, I never really kind of thought about it that way, but the idea of our spending and the stuff we're not really using. When you say that, I think about years ago when my husband and I were first together, I was in school full-time. He was working full-time. I was working part-time. It was just like, it was a really busy, busy time. And I would always buy a ton of fresh fruit. I'd buy so many, and it would just go bad in the fridge because we wouldn't eat it, but I kept buying it. So, I mean, like when you say that, I kind of think of like recognizing those things that are going unused that are not being taken or not taking advantage of whether it's like, yeah, clothing that you're not wearing or food that you're not eating to just stop buying it then just decide to surprise for a while and see how you feel. Yeah. And it will affect like, obviously, you know, clutter like in your house, but also will affect the bottom line of your finances, especially like fruit. I mean, it gets expensive. And then if it's sitting there and going bad every week, that might be $20 a week that you know, you're technically wasting that. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but $20 a week over the course of 52 weeks in a year over the course of four years or whatever it is. I mean, that adds up to a lot that, you know, people say, I don't have money to pay off debt or I don't have money to save. It's like getting creative. Like, yes, times are tough. Like, you know, salaries aren't necessarily matching like inflation and other things, but that means we have to get more creative on how we can pay off debt faster or how we can save and little things like that 
you know, in your head, you're like, oh, that's not going to impact things, but it really will. I mean, cleaning out clutter in your house, if you're not using it, like donate it, sell it, like get rid of it. If there's things, you know, check your house before you buy something on Amazon, like check your Facebook group. If you know, those like buy nothing groups, if someone's giving it away, which yeah, that doesn't sound like it's saving you a lot, but if it's something that's 30 or $40, like over time that does add up. So I think just getting creative, you know, with obviously things in your home, which does eventually relate to your finances as well. Yeah. And I love, like, I think that was probably one of my biggest struggles. And it's something I still struggle with is that belief that like a little bit is pointless. There's no point in doing a little bit. Uh, and even now, like I, my income is so inconsistent. I have so many little income streams from affiliates or, you know, my, my courses or like my courses or whatever I have. Um, and so I would always like, wait, I kept putting off adding to my retirement fund that I have. Cause I was like, no, I need to like, when I, when I earn more that, I mean, we always think when I earn more, when I get more then I'll save more. And within the last year or so, like I've gotten good. I like last year was the first year I totally maxed my personal retirement fund. My husband is always the one we focused on. Uh, and now I've been like, okay, whenever I get paid, even if it's like $18 affiliate commission, I'm like, well, 10% of that <laughs> is going yeah. into my retirement fund. And I just do it. Um, it makes such a difference, but I think that that mindset that I think so many of us have is that this little bit, like you said, that one subscription service doesn't make a difference. But then it's like, once you take that subscription service and you're willing to let that go, I feel like you're like, oh, I could let this one go too. And you know what? I probably don't need this. And I feel like it can spiral into more. Yeah. And it also just helps clear like the visual clutter of your budget. Like I always when I view budgets of like my students, I'm like, this is too much. Like I can, you know, if it's stressing me out, it's definitely stressing you out. Like if I look at it and you have 55 lines in your budget of different things, like I'm stressed. So that means you're definitely stressed. And I think simplifying it helps so much. So yeah, like if you can cut a few things, even if you cut three subscriptions, it's like, that just also just visually cleans things up too. It's like less lines in your budget, which just helps you like breathe easier, I think, just with any kind of like visual clutter. Uh, so the more you can kind of like simplify things, which yeah, even cutting a few things, like it really, it does help. And I, even with my, um, like, I remember when I opened my Roth IRA, like we were in the thick of paying off debt and there was no way I could put even remotely close to max it out or anywhere near it. So I set a goal of like $50 a month, like, and you know, you're like $50 for retirement. Like that's going to get you nowhere. And I think that like you said, a lot of people feel like that, but I just did $50. Cause it's all I could do at that point. But I knew I wanted to build that habit. And it goes back to just kind of like forcing yourself to do it, even if you don't fully see it. But it's like, if you can, you know, invest $50 a month, not saying it's not going to change. Maybe you do that for two years while you're paying off debt and then you increase it to a hundred or 150. And then you kind of build until you can, you know, allocate more and more and more. And then, but it's like, if you don't start, you're way worse off, especially when it comes to investing. Cause like time is on your side, you know, the sooner you invest. So I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but $50 can go a long way. Or if you get, I don't know, a bonus from work, like maybe you put part of the bonus, even if that's once a year, it's just kind of forcing yourself to like, do it even if you don't fully see you know the end result yet but like in the end you'll be glad you started when you did well yeah you know and you're gonna get somewhere if you do something versus like if you don't do anything you're not gonna get anywhere right yeah i was stuck with that mindset for so long and i also think just probably more on the minimalist side of things but but 
mental, it's like mental clutter. When you said cutting subscribers, I feel like we're really focused on subscription services, but it kind of all ties into that mentality. Like if you, when I've talked to people about cutting subscription services, we're like, well, this show's on this one and this one's on this one. And I don't want to get rid of any of them. And it's like, well, you can't watch literally all of them at the same time. So just have Netflix for a few months and focus on that one and then switch and try this one and then focus. It just adds to all the clutter and the chaos. Like you said, an over flooded budget. And then you're over flooding your time. You're like, I don't know what I want to watch. And you hit that decision fatigue and it's just so much. Yeah. Uh, we actually, it's funny you mentioned that because we did that. We wanted to watch like Yellowstone, which was on, I think, Peacock. So we literally got Peacock, finished Yellowstone, and then I canceled it. And then we wanted to watch like Hard Knocks on HBO. So I just canceled HBO today because it's over. Um, but we did that. Like if there were certain things we want to watch, like, yeah, I could very easily keep them and have Peacock because we have Hulu and Netflix and, you know, keep all of them. But because they're not, they're not expensive. Like they're, you know, but when you have like, five of them going it's just like another thing to remember and then you have to remember to cancel it or remember to negotiate it or anything like that and i think the low-hanging fruit yeah it's not going to like make you rich but it's just the easiest to tackle and then because you know the biggest way right to like have more money is to make more money or cut your biggest expenses which is means you have to move or to a lower you know if you're in a high cost of living area that might require you moving which is hard to do so like, yeah, I could say like, you know, cut your biggest line on your budget. But for most people, it's not reasonable to say like move or get a new job. So it's like, we have to get creative. And usually that comes from the variable spending, you know, which for most people it's either like takeout or like, you know, gas station purchases or, you know, eating out or, I mean, like, you know, Amazon Target is probably the biggest one I see. And then all the like the low hanging fruit subscriptions and things that you forget about free trials that are no longer free because you like forgot to cancel it or things like that. It's just taking the time to go through and see really the biggest thing is, which is the most annoying part. It's just going through like doing a full money audit. Just like, you know, if you were trying to clean out a room or something in your house, you need to take time and go through everything, which is the worst step. And it's the same thing in your finances, (laughs) the most time consuming step, but you need to know exactly where every dollar is currently going so that when you create your budget, it's, you know, realistic and not just what some like social media influencer told you that you should be spending on your groceries or whatever. Cause I think a lot of people compare back to our earlier part of the conversation, like compared to what other people are doing. So like, Oh, this person's spending $500 a month on groceries. And it's like, okay, well you're spending a thousand. So like for you to say that you're going to spend 500 is not realistic. So maybe we set the goal of next month, you're going to spend 800, you know, and like, it's a little bit less. And then you try that. And then if that goes well, maybe you make it 700. But I think a lot of people try to go from like one, they get obsessive and go from like one extreme to the other, which just never works out. And (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've totally done that with like yeah. everything in my life. And what's so hard, I think is when you don't know what you're doing, like I didn't know what I was doing with money. Uh, I totally did that. I, I listened to one guru who was like, spend nothing. And then I found another one who was like, you don't even need a budget and you should just spend. And so I was like, I can just spend. And the, the new one was like credit card hacking. I'm like, yeah, but I still didn't totally have my shopping addiction under control. And so that became an issue. Um, but I felt like, uh, because I didn't trust myself with money, I wanted to trust someone else. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I went to the each extreme instead of just mm-hmm. finding what worked for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
And I love seeing the shift, like you said, like, like finding, finding what works for you and trusting and knowing that like that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I think one thing, even for me, I've had to like mute people on Instagram, like accounts are like unfollow. And a lot of people I work with, I've had to do the same thing. I'm like, if you're someone who struggles with like buying everything someone promotes on Instagram, unfortunately you either can't follow them or you have to meet like for your own protection and then like boundaries and putting those like guardrails up. And if there's someone who is influencing you that makes you feel bad about your spending or something, or makes you feel guilty for spending on things. you. I mean, I've gotten so many comments like that. Um, cause you know, obviously I'm further in my journey. And so we do spend, like I said, a lot on things like we have club seats for uh, football, but I have two little kids like sitting in upper deck seats in a hundred degrees with a two-year-old and a one-year-old sounds miserable to me personally. So we upgrade to club seats so our kids can go in and like walk around and like get out of the sun. But that wasn't something I was able to do five years ago. I had those upper deck seats, but with no kids. <laughs> and, but for now it's like prioritizing that. And so, you know, people will be like, wow, like you're, you're saying, you know, if you sit in the upper deck, you know, you're a crappy human. And I'm like, no, like, I'm just saying what I'm able to prioritize and do now. Like if, if you want to sit in the upper deck or that's all you can do and you love it, like go for it. And I think, you know, we have to stop which is hard, but, you know, saying what someone else is doing is what you have to do, or you, you know, can't reach your goals if you don't do exactly what they say. And like, especially when it comes to social media now, I mean, it's great, but it's also um, crazy at times and kind of have to block out the noise, especially if you struggle with like overspending right now. And just because you can't have something right now doesn't mean, you know, you can't do it in the future. So it's really just getting super clear on, the things you got, like, I'm not a car person. So like, if someone gets a new car, like it does not bother me at all. Like someone has like a 20, you know, 2023 or 2020, like I am not jealous because I just truly do not care. Like, <laughs> but yeah. the, the some people do like, they compare, they're like, Oh, that person can get that. I need that. And it, it, it takes a lot of time to kind of figure out what you truly value and like blocking out the noise. But if you can get to that point, which might take years, I think you'll just be like a lot happier overall too. For sure. It's such a better feeling. And you're right. Like it took me so long feeling like, oh my gosh, everyone's taking a tropical vacation. I have to take a tropical vacation. Uh, and you're making me feel like I should probably talk about this more is that I've had that comment of you guys travel all the time. You're always doing something. And when I'm thinking about it now, I used to get defensive. I'm like, I, you know, I don't just travel all the time, not carelessly traveling. It's like, oftentimes we're traveling within our own state. Uh, we usually do free things like hiking or doing like walks outside, you know, and maybe we'll go out to eat once, or we always find somewhere for you to stay during COVID. We slept out of our minivan. Like, so yeah, I'm traveling a lot, but I'm sleeping in my minivan. So if you don't want to sleep in your minivan, <laughs> you know, don't be comparing your journey to mine. Cause that's what we did so that we could get out of the house, you know, during lockdown. Um, we spent very little besides gas. We brought our own food. We stayed in our van and we did hiking. That was ultimately very, very close to free besides the gas, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, we lived before this house. We were in a two bed, one bath house with our two kids at one point, like a small, I mean, I think it was like 600, maybe 700 square feet in like a really bad neighborhood. Like I have stories that I've talked about on my social media for days about things we experienced there but people are like i'm like yeah but that was it was so cheap that it allowed us to save and do things that yeah now you see i'm on you know i'm on a 25 acre farm but like for 
years, we lived in a small two bed, one bath house that we, our refrigerator didn't fit in our houses in our garage. We didn't have a dishwasher. We had, you know, like, but it was like, we were happy. We did what we wanted to do, but like we made sacrifices to do what we do. Like, and most people won't, like if I say you have to uproot and move to South Carolina and do this, they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, what else do you want me to say then? You know, or um, you have to get creative with certain things and you do have like really aggressive um, goals, but like we spent a lot. And even now here, we I did so many mock budgets to get to this house, like to make sure that we weren't going to be house poor. Cause that was the one thing I told my husband I was like, I will not move somewhere and not be able to still like live. Um, a house is not that important to me, you know? So like, yeah, we could have spent even more probably, but I was like, I do not want to just literally like pay bills and that's all we can afford. And I think a lot of people do that at some point because they're trying to keep up, you know, with what everyone else is doing. Like, oh, they got a bigger house. They have more kids. They're doing this. And you play that game, you know, we're trying to do what everyone else is doing. And then eventually you lose. I mean, unfortunately, (laughs) or you have to readjust um, and really prioritize, you know, what, like this house, we've had to replace so much stuff. Like, yeah, it looks great in theory, but you know, I knew that going into it. So it doesn't stress me out. I mean, it's annoying. Like our floors, the guy was like, how do you feel? And I was like, I'm annoyed, but like, it didn't break us financially. I was just annoyed. So I think going back to just really focusing on the few things, you know, and preparing, I think I, I truly believe there's very few things in life that are unexpected. Um, I think we just don't prepare. Like if you have a pet, you need a pet sinking fund. If you have a car, you need a car sinking fund. If you have a house, you know, there's things like, yeah, you can't predict you know, we've spent $10,000 on vet bills in the past few years, but I couldn't have predicted that, but I could predict that I have a pet and at some point something might happen. So I think it's just, you know, living in the moment, but also preparing and finding that, like finding the balance or as much of a balance as you can find. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're right. And then, so my thought is, and I was thinking of this earlier when we talked about, when you talk about like having to look at your numbers, I was always somebody who was so stressed to look at my numbers. Um, like I just didn't want to, or when, you know, someone who might be listening to this and thinking, Oh my gosh, I need a sinking fund for this and this and this and this seems too much. It seems too overwhelming. Um, because you know, there really can be so many little things that we haven't thought of, or we're not thinking about. Um, is there like a way that you recommend for people to kind of ease into that? Because I really hated it. Like I really hated having to face the roughness of my financial situation. It made me feel so overwhelmed. And then almost like for years, probably if I'm being honest, if I'm thinking back, put me into inaction. Like I didn't want to do anything. Yeah. I think so. When it comes to like preparing and kind of going like sinking funds and all of that, um, and if, if anyone, I mean, I'm assuming most people know what a sinking fund is, but if you don't, it's just saving for something specific. So like, um, pets, travel, medical kit, like it's just a bucket for a savings goal. But one thing I do, and I, I have like a template in my programs is like a year overview, which sounds overwhelming, but it actually makes your life less overwhelming. So pretty much you just like map out your year from the extent of expenses. So plug in birthdays, trips, weddings, anniversaries, like annual fees, like everything. So you can kind of see like, do you have months that are really heavy? Um, Maybe you need a sinking fund for certain things. So if you have eight birthdays and you usually spend, I don't know, a hundred dollars on each birthday and you're like, Hey, 
I normally can't just like cash flow $800. It's like, okay, that's a sinking fund. And I think with sinking funds too, you don't need to contribute to every single sinking fund every single month. And you also don't need to contribute the same amount. So for example, we're talking about the holidays. Some people do a Christmas sinking fund for the whole year and that works for them. But like for me, I do it for six months. Like I just start the second half of the year because I have other things that I have to prioritize in the first half of the year. And I don't want to have 15 sinking funds, you know, every month, um, our car insurance, we pay annually. So I know by January, I need the full amount. So I can kind of, depending on how my year goes, like map out, do I need to save for four months? Do I need to save for eight months? And then I like start, you know, saving. So kind of as much as it sounds overwhelming to map out your year, I'm not saying it's going to stick to that, but it just gives you some clarity on what's happening. So you don't have like that fear of the unknown, like you're kind of facing it. So if you know, next year, you do have four weddings and all of them require plane tickets and hotels instead of like waiting until the last minute and then being stressed out. It's like, okay, well you have say six months to plan. It's like, now's the time to, you know, kind of start preparing financially so that you're not stressed out by the time that wedding comes or by the time you have to book things. Or, um, if you know, if you do have a dog or I'm not a cat person, so I'm going to use the dog as an example. Um, (laughs) you have a dog, who goes to the vet every, you know, annual visit and eat shots, or maybe your dog is older and you know that there's more medical bills. It's like, okay, well then maybe hundred dollars a month you put into a pet sinking fund. And if there is a month that's really tight, yes, you could just not contribute. Like that would be one of the first things you cut if you had something truly unexpected to come up. Um, but it just helps you kind of prepare. So I don't think there's a set amount or like how to tackle it. I think obviously simplify, like, if it stresses you out, just focus on two sinking funds or something like repairs and travel. I don't know. You know, you don't have to have 80 at once. I think as you get more comfortable with your budget and your numbers, you'll kind of see where the gaps are and see like what you need to add and change. But really just kind of start looking at looking at the numbers really and then creating a plan. Yeah. Okay. And that's all. I feel like um, <laughs> to round out our conversation, uh, I think my my final thought would be what do you say to those people who go through their budget, map out all their expenses and things and realize that they don't have enough to get through? So the first thing would be kind of like we talked about is, are there ways you can get creative? Because I mean, I'm not saying that there are definitely people where their income, you know, is less than their expenses, but then you do have to be creative, like maybe that means you have to sell a car, unfortunately. Like if you have a car payment that's $800, like that might be one to go. And like, I'm not saying that's the easiest decision. And obviously if, if you really are like opposite where your expenses are higher, you know, you're, you have two options. Your two options are to increase your income or cut your expenses. That's literally your only two. There's no like magic wand um, solution. So if you can increase your income, right now, then you have to look at reducing some expenses. So of course we talked a lot about kind of those low hanging fruit, but if you've already done all that and you're like, there's nothing else, then you, then it turns into those bigger expenses. So for a lot of people that's, you know, they have two new cars, car payments now are like $900 each. So maybe that means you have to go get a used car or you have to share a car for a little until you, you know, can pay off debt and, or find a new job. Maybe that means you have to do some kind of like side hustle to just make even an extra few hundred dollars a month that can go to debt. Uh, if you're struggling with credit card debt, you can look at even, uh, which is what we did, like a balance transfer. So there's there's ways to get creative. You just still have to kind of make it a priority. I mean, I you know, without knowing obviously anyone's specific situation, it's hard to give like exact advice. But I think 
it's just like you would put in effort to, if you do like working out or um, put in effort for your health or put in effort for other things, you have to make your finances a priority. Um, and that sometimes means just getting creative with your expenses, finding someone to hold you accountable, even if that's just like your partner or your friend to be like, hey, can't eat out this week, you know? And like I said, it all can be temporary. It doesn't have to be a forever thing. But if you're like, if you have a lot of debt to pay and you have like really aggressive savings goals, you know, you got to get creative with, with the budget stuff. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That's what, during debt payoff, I started doing dog sitting from home from home because um, I was already taking care of my dog. So I just threw in a few more on, on occasion and it helped so much. So yeah, I did dog walking for a little and then I tutored um, a middle school uh, student a few times, like for a little bit. Like I was like, I will do whatever <laughs> to make a little bit extra. So yeah. And it's paid off, right? Yep. Yep. It was worth it. I have no regrets. Um, I mean, the high interest, that was always tough. Like we had, I could talk about student loans forever, but um, credit card, I always say if anyone listening has credit card debt, that would be my first debt to pay off just because interest rates are wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to, like I said, a few times, there's no like magic wand. It's just staying consistent and there's going to be months that go really well. And there's going to be months that go terrible and that's normal. You know, your budget will never be perfect. Anyone who says they have a perfect budget is lying to you. So if there's someone on Instagram who says that they never mess up their budget and it's perfect, that's a lie. Um, but I think it's just really building those habits and strategies to stay consistent through those tough months and knowing what to adjust and just kind of pushing through even when you feel like this, you know, everything's going terrible and just adjusting as needed is really, you know, what's most important. Yeah. So if you, um, is there anywhere that anybody can find to connect with you like on Instagram or certain programs, freebies, anything that you recommend for people who are wanting those next steps? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram way too much. Um, that's what my phone like alerts tell me when it tells you how many hours you spend on your phone. So Instagram's the best way to like, if you want to DM me and tell me kind of what you learned or if you have any questions, definitely uh, message me on Instagram. It's financially focused. A L L I at the end. My website has like literally everything I have. I've started as a blog in 2017. So I have tons of blog posts. I have a free um, course, a free foundations course to kind of just like help you get started. I have self-paced courses. So really the hub is my website. Uh, it's also obviously in my Instagram bio, but if you need to like reach out, Instagram's definitely the best way. <laughs> Great. Well, well, I'll link to your Instagram and your website, but also people can find and connect with all those different resources. Yay. But thank you so much, Allie, for chatting. This was awesome. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey again, thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love. Until next time.